couple of weeks ago, I read a report of a pastor in China who, along with 60 of his congregation, were forced to leave China and they sought refuge in South Korea. And that was following sustained persecution. But it seems now that South Korea uh, has refused to grant them asylum. And then another recent report in respect of Christians in Vietnam reported that there were around 10,000 Christians who were stateless because local authorities refused to issue ID cards, refused to issue, in some cases, birth certificates, all because Christians would refuse to renounce Christ. So that's just two examples of groups of believers who are uh, without citizenship. They are completely lost. They can't leave the country. They can't claim certain benefits. And all the uh, things that centre around the necessity of having a a sound citizenship. And of course there are people like that around the world. They're in a state of limbo. No one wants to take them in. And as I read those reports and was beginning to think about that, my mind went to our reading tonight, particularly in chapter 3 of Philippians and verse 20, where we read, For our conversation is in heaven. The word conversation in some of your Bibles will read citizenship, in others it might read uh, politics, but the original word there, as we shall see in a moment, is where politics come from, and we can certainly read that correctly, for our citizenship is in heaven. You see, every believer, uh, wherever we are, whatever our state in this world, we do have a citizenship, and that citizenship is in heaven. And so what I wanted to do this evening for a little while is to lay four things before you from these verses, particularly those last verses in chapter 3 and the first verse of chapter 4. Four things there that might encourage us uh, in uh, the things that we're living in, the day in which we're living in, might encourage us in our pilgrimage. Let me just read the verses. For our conversation or our politics or our citizenship is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able to subdue all things unto himself. Therefore, my brethren dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I read that first verse because, of course, as we, we, uh, Richard reminded us quite recently, uh, the breaks in the chapters weren't there when uh, Paul wrote that letter. But it, it follows on. So four things then from this passage that should encourage us in the things of God, help us to be confirmed in the faith, but also can be a test as to whether we are in the faith. Uh, and if we're testing whether we're in the faith, it's a challenge, isn't it? That if this is not me, if it doesn't include me, then I, I want to see the need of my soul for Jesus Christ to be able to come within the context of these verses. Now, to put the passage or the letter uh, in context, they were saying recently that people don't write letters much anymore. Um, and I suppose that's true. We have the internet, don't we? Quickly tap something out. And they were trying to encourage people to put pen to paper. But when you see these letters that were written here, 
I mean, how long would it have taken Paul to write that out? I mean, they, you know, my stepmother, bless her, she writes uh, postcards sometimes when she's on holiday. And every little bit on that card will have writing on it. And her writing is so small. Uh, and she says, I love writing letters. Uh, but whether we'd write a letter of this length, uh, I somehow doubt it. But Paul wrote this letter. He had a great love for the church at Philippi. He remembered the prayer meeting that he went to down by the river where the scripture tells us Lydia was there. And it says, Lydia, whose heart the Lord opened. Lydia with these ladies were having a prayer meeting, but they weren't born-again believers. They were um, proselytes. They were people who believed the Old Testament. They believed in God. They were genuine in their belief in God, but they had yet to hear the gospel. And Paul explains that to them. And Lydia, and maybe others, we don't know, but Lydia comes to faith in Jesus Christ. Paul remembered that. He remembered also that he was put in prison in Philippi. And he remembers the earthquake. And uh, he remembers how that uh, the, the, the Philippian jailer was about to kill himself because the prisoners were, were getting away. And Paul says, no, hang on a minute, we're, we're all safe. And somehow this jailer, maybe he'd heard uh, Paul preaching or maybe he'd heard the prisoners singing or whatever, he comes to faith in Jesus Christ. What must I do to be saved, he said. And what a, a marvellous question. If ever a, you want a question asked of you, it's to say, what must I do to be saved? And he gave a, a most complicated answer, didn't he? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You can get anything much simpler than that, would you? We know there's a lot embraced within that belief. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And they must have been very happy times for Paul. He remembered those. And a little church was formed. Uh, Lydia invited them all to their home and, and, and this church was formed. And, and now the church was big enough to send Paul gifts from time to time in order that he didn't have to make too many tents and he could continue with his ministry. And really this letter is written uh, that he might thank them for the recent gift that he had received from them. So let's just look at these four things. First of all, we are to know where our citizenship is. And if we're, if we're Christians, our citizenship is in heaven. Uh, as I said a few moments ago, that word conversation in the Greek is from where we get the word politics from. Our politica, we think of the word of police and politicians. It all comes from that root word. The Christian has their political centre. We use the word citizenship, it's as close as we can get. It's based in heaven. And uh, a few times lately, people have asked me, have you got any identification on you? And they want your driving licence or your passport, don't they? And the passport, you get that out, it tells you where you come from. That is evidence of your citizenship. And so if a Christian had a passport, really, it would say a citizen of heaven. You say, where's he gone? I've never been there, but that's, that's my citizenship. Now, we take our citizenship for granted, don't we? Um, but to some, it's something to aspire to. Uh, we know people are trying to cross the channel. Some of those, no doubt, are in very dire situations. Other, others may perhaps be uh, coming for economic reasons. It's, it's not uh, my place to enter into that. But they want citizenship eventually that might belong in this country, or some may want it in Germany or in America, etc. Because when they have that citizenship, it gives them certain rights. It gives them certain responsibilities and privileges. Now, in the day in which Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians, 
there would be a number who were reading this who were concerned about their citizenship. Some of them didn't have a citizenship. They were in limbo. And your citizenship often depended on who you were. So if you were a slave or a servant, your citizenship may really belong to your master. And that would mean you couldn't travel far without permission. And you certainly couldn't trade. Um, If you could acquire Roman citizenship, then you could do far more. And there was nothing they could do to change their citizenship. It was something thrust upon them. So Paul touches on this sensitive issue to remind them, although their citizenship on earth is restricted, although they may be a despised people, actually they have a citizenship of heaven that is something far superior to what they might have down here. What really mattered was what was theirs in Jesus Christ, not what they had on this earth. Now this is a little bit more than just an illustration. Paul is not just encouraging them, uh, as it were, with this thought. He, he is actually telling them, look, you've been born from above. That, that's where the Spirit of God came and did this great work, and therefore your citizenship is above. Our citizenship is often based on where we were born, and so spiritually. Born from above, we have above heavenly citizenship. Now, our citizenship gives us certain privileges, doesn't it, even where we live. Uh, Some of us are are blessed with a pension, and uh, we can go to certain places and do certain things because we can show I'm a citizen of this country. But it also gives us responsibilities. Remember the story of the prodigal son? Uh, The Bible says he left his mother and his father, uh, well, certainly he left his father, and he joined himself, the Bible says, to be a citizen of another country of a far country. In other words, he identified himself with the people in that country. He had left his father. And he marked this change not only in locality, but it would have been a change in his allegiance, a change in his behaviour to that particular area. We know, of course, how the story ended. He, he, he went in, he was quite wealthy when he went. He took his share of inheritance and no doubt the authorities were happy to give him citizenship. But, of course, later he realised when he lost his money, what was important was his citizenship back home with his father. And so here we find, a bit like the prodigal son, there were those who hadn't come to faith. There were those who were lording it over to Christians. And he says, those people mind earthly things. And they mind earthly things because their citizenship and their thinking and their heart is based down here. The Christian is to look above. Uh, Paul writes to the church at Colossae. And he says, if you be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. You see, that matches our citizenship. We're to, we have a citizenship in heaven. We're to look heavenward, as it were. Our thoughts should often be heavenward. Now, I've said that the Christian has citizenship in heaven because we're born from above, but there are other reasons too, aren't there? Our government is seated in heaven. We hear a lot of talk at the moment, don't we, about uh, citizenship and whether you, you're in Scotland uh, whether you're in England and, and the difference that that's making now. So people in Scotland, they might look to Edinburgh for their government, but ultimately they have to look to London for their government. Where is their government seated? 
My friends, our government, the, the, the governing body, whilst we acknowledge we render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, our ultimately we look to heaven. For there is our government. There is Christ our head. Our rights are secured in heaven. Christ ever lives to make intercession for us. That's where our interest is, is in heaven. One verse of a hymn says, There my exalted Saviour stands, my merciful High Priest, and still extends his wounded hands to take me to his breast. It's an important role that the High Priest has in heaven. Jesus Christ is interceding for us. Uh, you know, when, when things are, are not quite as they ought to be, he, he shows, as it were, the, the shed blood to his heavenly Father. I, I, I've died for these people. I've cleansed them from their sin. And that's the most important thing that's happening for us, and it's happening in heaven. Our interests are promoted there. All things work together for good to them that love God, who are called according to his purpose, and that works from heaven. And my friends, when you... Go into your secret place and you pray. Where do your prayers go? Do they not go to heaven? Do they not ascend unto our heavenly Father by the Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ? We have uh, so much interest in what's going on, as it were, in heaven. But of course we have the old quotation, don't we? You could be so heavenly minded, you're no earthly use. I'd like to meet a few of those because I've never met them. I've met a few people that are so earthly minded, they're no heavenly use. We ought to be more heavenly minded. The heavenly minded people are the most useful people on earth. It doesn't mean that we think of heaven and we don't see what's going on here. Of course we do. But when we're in tune with heaven, when we're in tune with what the Lord is doing for us there, then we shall be well instructed for what we should do here. I think it was a Puritan Swinnock who said, we need to get some heaven in us before we get into heaven. And there's something in that, isn't there? So then, seeing Christians have their citizenship in heaven, we, we should live on earth as citizens of heaven. But secondly, you know, evidence of our citizenship is often found in how we look that way. We look to home. Our verse says there, from whence we look for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Knowing that Christ is coming again is not something simply part of our theology and that's it. The coming of Christ is something to impact our daily lives. When I was at Louth this morning, um, Chris Sharp there led the communion. And at one point he said, well, we do this until the Lord comes. He may come today. And that's a statement we often say, but one day that's going to be true, isn't it? It's going to be right. It will come on that day. I know, I don't say this to be disrespectful, but it has a slight serious uh, side to it. I remember seeing a T-shirt where it says, uh, Jesus is coming. And then on the back it said, look busy. Now that was obviously, in one sense it's blasphemous. In one sense it's not there for Christians to wear. But in another sense, it's right, we need to look busy. We need to be busy because Jesus is coming. We're to look for the Saviour doesn't mean a natural physical look, does it? Um, I often wake up quite early in the morning, and sometimes these I used to get up early in the morning. Now I'm kind of a bit lazy to get up in the morning. I tend to lay there and kind of 
be awake, as it were. But if I, if I look out the window, we don't draw our curtains because there's nobody kind of out there. But at, uh, I think it was 3.30 this morning, you see the North Star. And you can see it travel. I know how long it takes now to get from one window pane to the other. And uh, that, that's, I look for it. Sometimes I deliberately wake up, I think, oh, I wonder if it's there yet, and I'll turn and I'll have a look. That's not quite what it means here, does it? And yet there's, there's an element of that, that looking for the Saviour. How do we look for the Saviour? Well, we don't always look up in the sky. We look around the world. We look into the scriptures, don't we? Because no other generation has seen the things that we see around us today. No other generation has seen uh, Israel regathered in a miraculous way that they have uh, and to see them settled in their land. No other generation has seen uh, uh, groups of, uh, of Jews actually preparing to build their new temple We've never been in a generation before when there are people seriously talking in that way. No other generation has seen such wide hostility to the Christian faith, not in so many countries at the same time. No other generation has seen sin so deep and wide throughout the world. Yes, our country was bad in centuries past, but this goes beyond that. It comes uh, with a hostility to the laws of God. No other generation has seen a move to the globalisation of economics, of politics even, and of religion. We, We look to Christ in that way that we read these things in Scripture... We think of the uh, uh, other signs of his return, and, and this is not a, a sermon on that, but we, but we see all those things coming together. And we look in the scriptures, and that is looking for his return, isn't it? Expecting him to come. Also, we read in scripture that when he does come, we shall be in full receipt of our salvation. Romans 8.23, it says, the whole creation groans. Well, that's one thing that's One of the things that's happened in Turkey, isn't it? The earthquakes and the volcanoes and the things we see is a part of a fallen world. It is the creation groaning, as it were. And we also await the redemption of our body, but we'll come to that in a moment. But uh, we see that, don't we? The older we get, the more it seems that our uh, things malfunction, as it were. Uh, We look forward to not just being overhauled, uh, you know, you can go into hospital, can't you? You could pay your money and say, well, like a, a nip and a tuck here. And, uh, you know, there's a few other things that want sorting out and you can pay your money. Uh, that's, that's kind of a bit of an overhaul, isn't it? But when we see him, we're going to have a new body. Well, that's something quite different. So how do we look here? What does he say? Well, the word that's used here for looking for the saviour is a very intense word. It means we look eagerly It's a very strong word. It's not a glancing look around the room, but it's an eager look. Uh, it's an eager look that we might have if we was at an airport and we were expecting a visitor to come and, and we know they're going to walk through from that corridor at some point and we know the plane has landed and we're looking intensely to see if we can see them and maybe we haven't seen them for a few years and they may look a bit older now and we're looking eagerly and intensely and that's how we're to look for the Saviour. That's the word the Holy Spirit says. Look eagerly and intensely in, in, in Scripture, in your life, for Christ is coming. Also, we wait with confidence. We look with confidence. Uh, we can perhaps feel anxious at his coming. Uh, some Christians struggle to forget forgiven sin and think, well, when I see the Lord, it's going to be a bit difficult. 
1 Corinthians 1, 7 says, Waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm unto the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, this is not a sermon for presumption, but our standing, our position rather, is in Christ and God sees us as perfect. We are forgiven by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And when our sin is forgiven, it is gone. So let's be encouraged by knowing that our citizenship is in heaven and that we are to look for his return. Third thing we see here is the great hope we have. Verse 21, who shall change our vile body, some of you will have body of humiliation, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. That's a wonderful little verse, isn't it? A great verse of encouragement as we do get older. Uh, We're only too aware of our bodies of humiliation. And I attended a cremation during the week and I knew the, the man who had passed away, but I hadn't seen him for a number of years. Uh, and they put lots of pictures up. And then we saw some pictures in the last couple of years of his life. And we saw what disease had done to his body. We are very aware of our bodies of humiliation. You know, the frailty that comes, even if we're in good health, the frailty that comes with age and then disease. We read in scripture and we know it to be true that our bodies are fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, How people can believe in evolution I shall never know when you just look at a hand. Uh, How can this just come from a big bang? As far as I know any big bang I've seen causes destruction. It doesn't bring things together. Again when we look at the building someone built this. It would be nonsense to say well it just fell together one day over millions of years. The whole thing just falls on common sense, let alone on science. Our bodies are fearfully and wonderfully made. And we know because of sin, age has entered in and sin enters in and and, and all of these things. But we are indwelt by God the Holy Spirit. uh, And we're, we're to look after our bodies. We know that. The scripture says we're not to eat to excess. We're not to drink to excess. But even having kind of looked after our bodies the best we can, we have limitations, don't we? Some perhaps more than others. We're limited physically. I often wonder, I don't often, but I have wondered, how strong was Adam? You know, the, the, the new man, the first man, how strong was he? I believe his, his mind, and I, I know I've said this before in sermons, I believe his brain was, was more active than our own, uh, so close to the fall. He had great brain power in in naming all of those animals and all of the plants and all that he saw around him. We're limited by frailty. We have to protect ourselves. You go and get on a motorbike, you've got to put a helmet on for common sense to do that. We're limited by age, we're limited by disease. We're limited in our capacity in so many ways. We're limited in our capacity even to love the Lord with all our hearts and minds and souls. We're limited because of the overall problem of sin. And sin is the reason for all the other reasons why we know these limitations and frailty. As I say, Paul says God's going to change this vile body. On that resurrection morning, we will not rise as we went down into the grave. John sees this in Revelations 21 and verse 3. He says, I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, 
Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. What a wonderful time that would be. I remember Vernon Hyam preaching on that verse. And he says, God will come with his celestial handkerchief. He says, God didn't send an angel to wipe our tears. God will do it. Well, we know that's language. We don't understand how all that works. But we see what is being said. And what did Paul say here? He'll change our vile bodies, our humiliated bodies, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. doesn't mean we'll be as God, but we'll have a body that is, is structured differently. And we won't know any of those nasty things. And that's a, a wonderful thing. Our limitations will be removed. And that great limitation of sin will no longer blight us. Well, let me find one more thing. Fourthly then, what do we do while we wait? And we have to be careful with that. We're not meant to sit here just with our hands folded, as it were, waiting to be transported to heaven. There are things to do. And Paul tells us one great thing to do in verse four of chapter 4, verse 1. He says, So stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Not stuck fast to do nothing, but standing fast that we might do all things in Christ. We're to stand fast in our faith, what we believe, we're not to be carried about by every wind of doctrine and every fashion. We're to stand fast in our worship. Uh, we don't worship for our own satisfaction. We, we worship for the glory of God. We're to stand fast in our holiness, that we might grow in that holiness. We're to stand fast in our service for him, redeeming the time. We're to stand fast in our spiritual warfare, putting on the whole armour of God. And so we could go on and say many things about what we should do while we wait. We're here to advance the kingdom of God. We're here, he uses us to, to preach and to witness in uh, whatever way we f um, position that we find ourselves in that others may come to faith in Jesus Christ. We, we're meant to be a busy people. Uh, Paul writes to the, the church at, uh, in Corinth, doesn't he? And he tells them, at the end of his first letter, or towards the end of his first letter, he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, but always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labour is not in vain in the Lord. As long as we think it is in vain, which is a promise of God, it's not. We don't know what the Lord is doing with our service for him. And so uh, these are the things we're told and we must be about until that final trumpet sounds. So what have we seen then? We're citizens of heaven, if we're believers, we're to look for the Saviour, we have a glorious hope, and we wait steadfast in all we do until he comes. So a little bit of closing application then, and perhaps we could do it from those headings that we've had. What is your citizenship? As set out in heaven, or is our citizenship still on the earth? Are we still in sin? Sin of unbelief? You say, oh no, I actually believe. 
Well, in which case, the sin of not seeking. Oh, no, I've been seeking. It's the sin then of not repenting, not exercising that faith. If we are then the Lord's, our life here is to be lived as one resident here, but only for a season. Here for a season and then above, I think the line of the hymn says. We're pilgrims, aren't we? Uh, On a journey. And uh, if a pilgrim is on a journey, their thinking and their mind is the end of the journey that we're going to be in glory. So where is our citizenship? That's a, a challenge tonight, isn't it? But then secondly, we said we look for the Saviour. Well, what do you look for? Uh, do we look for the change and, 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 and the great uh, things that will accompany his return? Or are we fearful of his return? We know we're not ready to meet the Saviour of sinners. We're not ready to meet the one who says, I died for sinners, and yet we're a sinner and we haven't grasped hold of that. We haven't taken the forgiveness that he offers. And what about the hope? What is your hope? Romans 8 says, For we are saved by hope, but the hope that is seen is not hope. For what man sees, why does he yet hope for it? But if we hope for that that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Where where is your hope tonight? What do you hope for? You say, well, I hope. Most of this is not true. I hope when I die, that's the end of it. Cremation during the week was led by a Baptist minister didn't mention the Lord Jesus at all, as far as I remember, in the whole of the service. And at one point she said, we don't really know what happens after death. I don't think it was an awful thing to say, for anyone to say, but you claim to be a, a Methodist minister and so say you don't know what happens after death. I thought of those words in uh, Thessalonians, but I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them that are asleep. We are to know, aren't we? And when it comes to our hope, we have a sure and steadfast hope, the scripture says. And and the hymn picks it up quite right. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Is that your hope tonight? And then finally, I suppose in way of application, how do you stand in this difficult age? Do we stand steadfast in Christ and we say, well, all this stuff's happening around us. We're sad, we pray, we'll give, we'll try and preach the gospel, we'll try and live the gospel but we actually know that God is moving and working to the consummation of all things and he will come one day. And uh, we know our, our health may fail, we shall get older, we may be despondent from time to time, but we're safe in Christ. That's how we stand in the grace of Christ. And so then, let me just close with the words then, really, that we've been looking at this evening and let it challenge your heart. Is your conversation or your citizenship in heaven? Are you looking for the Saviour? Will he change your body of humiliation that it may be like unto his own? Are we able to stand fast in the great and glorious gospel of Jesus Christ? May the Lord so help us for his name's sake. Amen.